Got a couple of questions and things. Welcome, reInvent. I hope you guys are enjoying it. Um, how many in the room, hands, show of hands, is this the first reInvent you're at? How many are at the first reInvent? Wow. Welcome on board. And the rest of you, welcome back. Uh, as you know, this is a packed week. There's a lot of sessions, a lot of good stuff that Andy talked about in his presentation. How many in the room today have more than one AWS account they manage? What a surprise. It's almost everybody in the room. I wonder why you're in that, that this session. So interesting. Um, how many use consolidated billing? Should be every other hand as well. Perfect. So my name is Andrew Samuelson. I work in the Identity and Access Management team and organizations team. We build both services. And today, of course, we're going to talk about a new service. We publicly announced it yesterday. So you can go and look it up on our marketing page and find the information. I'm going to walk through bits and pieces. I'm going to do an overview and talk about what it is in, at a higher level and then go down a little bit of details. Come on in. There's sheets up on the right-hand side, in the middle as well, and on the left-hand side. I'm going to do a demo. It's going to be more of a, a mock-up demo, not a live demo, but it'll shift, give you a feeling for what it does and what the console looks like. And then we're going to talk about best practices. And we've got an hour to fill, and I'm pretty much going to fill the hour with all the content that I have. So let's get started. AWS Organizations, new service. This is the link you can go to. Um, read about it on the marketing information. This is also where you can sign up for the public preview. So it's not a full public service. It is a service you sign up for, and then in a couple of weeks, we will get you on board. Um, uh, eventually, so you can start using the service. So it's in public limited preview. In this link, you can go and look it up. You'll find it on our marketing pages. Service highlights. It's a management capability that makes it easier for you to manage a lot of AWS accounts. Some of the key features that we'll be providing as part of this. First of all, you're going to have all your accounts under a new entity. We call it an organization. It is the entity, the umbrella under which all your accounts will live, and you will manage them. And you will be able to do things with this entity. You're going to be able to call APIs or through the console, get a full list of all the accounts that you're managing. Right? We're also going to make it easy to group accounts under this entity of organizations. So if you want to logically group them according to ways you want to manage them, example could be production stage, like development, test, prod. could be that you want to group them by geographic region. You might want to group them by cost center. It is up to you how you group the accounts such that you can manage them accordingly. Once you've grouped them, you can apply what we call organizational control policies. And these are really a definition of what you want to happen in the account. Instead of having to go in and manually configure accounts and do things with scripts or whatever the deal is, you're going to be able to def define this centrally and have it happen across the accounts without anybody having to do anything locally. And in some cases, local administrators cannot override what you've done. So you have the control. And of course, we're going to simplify the creation of accounts. Today, when you create an account, you have to go to the marketing page. You have to provide a payment method and a bunch of information you fill in. Now you can do it through a couple of clicks in the console or programmatically through an API. Make it very, very easy to get started. If you need a new account for a new project, for a new application, whatever the use case is, you can now do that through the mechanisms that we provide. And simplified billing. One of the key things always is I've got all these accounts. How do I make sure that I pay the right bill, et cetera? Consolidated billing is fully integrated into organizations. So you get the simplified billing. You get one payment method. 
you get um, all the tiering benefits and all the things you get at Consolidate today, billing today, is going to be part of or is part of organizations. So these are the core benefits, and I'm going to drill into each one of those in the following slides. A couple of additional points. An AWS account can only be in one of these umbrellas at any given time. Why? This is your management boundary across all the accounts that you have. It's also the billing boundary. It's all of the boundaries that you can think of with regards to how you want to deal with your accounts. Having an account being two different organizations, there's no way of distinguishing who the owner is, what controls are going to be applied. So an AWS account can only be in one organization at any given time. And key, everything I'm going to talk about today, the demo is going to be in the console, but everything I'm going to talk about today you can do from a console, you can do it through APIs, or you can use the command line interface if that's your preferred choice of management. So even if I say about do it in the console, remember you can do it from all of these three different methods. Key concepts. Let me walk these so we are on the same page of the terminology I'm going to be using throughout the presentation um, so you understand what I'm talking about when we get later on. Organization, the outer umbrella. It's really your consolidated set of accounts that you want to manage. It's the highest entity of what you have, and it's really a bubble that everything lives under. An account. Everybody knows what an account is, but I'm putting it up here just for, safe, for safekeeping or for discussion, right? It's a resource container. This is where you create your resources. This is where you create an S3 bucket or an EC2 instance. This is where you locally manage access to those resources. And key, it is the smallest unit of management. It's the, key, it's the piece that you manage and control and put into structures in an organization. So an account is the smallest unit what you manage in an organization. There's going to be a, a special account. There's a couple of seats up here in the middle. There's a special account called the master account. The master account is really your central hub for managing the organization. It is where all the management tasks happen. This is where you call the API to create an account. This is where you call the API or go to the console in order to create an, an or, a logical group of accounts. So it is a key place of what you're managing of all the pieces that you're doing. You're not doing it in the individual account. You do all this functionality in the master account. There's also the payer account. It's only the account that pays for all the other accounts in your organization. OU, I talked about logical grouping of accounts. We call them OUs, organizational unit. You have your organization, and then there you have your organizational unit, really the group of accounts that you're dealing with. And an OU is just a lot. Think of it as a man management convenience. It allows you to group accounts according to what you want to enable and what you want to control. An analogy is how we use groups in IAM. I have a group that I put a policy on, and then I can put users into that group, and they all get affected by the same policy. Same function in organizations. You have an OU, you put accounts in it, you put a control on it, and all those accounts will now be impacted by the controls you put on, on uh, the OU. Administrative route, I'm not going to talk so much about this today, but it is, it is a, one of the key concepts. It's the starting point from under which you manage your, your group, your accounts. It's under the route that you create your OUs. Root is also the top node where you can put a control. So if you put a control on root, it affects all accounts in your organization. So you have that capability as well. And I'll go to that a little, little bit later in the, in the slide deck. And the last piece. Organizational control policies. Think of this as a generic name. There are going to be multiple types of organizational control policies over time. Uh, we're going to be launching one control policy today, and I'll talk to that later on in the slide. 
But this is a generic name, more about talking about the concept in itself. It's the capability you define, the categorization or the configuration you want your account to have. And then according to that, we will make sure that that happens on all the accounts that you selected. Let's get into details. Simplified account creation. This is usually one that everybody like, yes, please. I wanted this for years. So this is going to give you the ability of quickly creating new accounts. There's four pieces of information you can provide. There's only two pieces that are mandatory. You need to provide an email address. So you need to provide a name of the account. If you only provide that and you, if you do it in the console, there's a couple of seconds you have a new account in place. You don't have to provide a payment method. Why? Because there is already a payment method on the organization. It's the payer account. So you can use this now and programmatically create a workflow if you wanted to. It creates an account and does this stuff to the account and then whatever, hand it over to whoever needs to use it instead of going and putting up to the marketing page, payment method, inviting the account into the consolidated billing family, all that kind of stuff. You can now build a workflow for stamping them out. There's two other pieces that I didn't talk about that you can also provide as information. We will automatically create a role, and I am role in the account when it gets created, and this is your admin role, the initial principle in the account. It's going to be pre-created. It's going to have two, one policy that states what the role can do, and it's an I am star star, can do everything. And the trust policy is set such that principles in the master account, remember, the management hub of the organization, can assume that role. So it's a starting point. You can use that role now to go in and do further configuration in the account, and then when you're done, you can hand it over. Role gets created. You can either provide a name, or you can see up there there's a default name that we provide on the account, um, on the role when it gets created. The other piece, there's going to be a slight change from if you create an account through the normal means, is today if you go to the marketing page and you create an account, it has a big switch set that says don't block access to um, billing for IM users. Right? You can now select if you want that switch turned on so IM users have access or the switch turned off so they don't have access. Right? You pick it. The default's going to change. So the default's going to be that IM users do have access. Once again, to simplify, you get started because the majority of you guys, you normally want IM users to have access to billing. That's what we've heard at least as feedback, so we're changing the default. But you can pick which one you want. Makes it easier for you to manage in the future as well. Keeping your credit account, it automatically becomes part of your organization. Really, the reason I put this up is to say is there's no API for creating a standalone account. It only gets created in an organization. Secondly, you can't remove the account from the organization, not in this release. So you programmatically create it, it sits in the organization until we provide that feature in a future release. Right. So be cognizant about the accounts you create this way. If you want to move them out, there's another means of getting accounts in and out of an organization. This is what it would look like if you use the CLI. Very simple. I give it an email address. Yes, it's a fake email address, but you give it an email address. Um, you give it a name, I call it production account, and then I give it a role. That's all you need. You hit return, account gets created, it's done. No more, more, no more need to do anything extra. You can still invite account in. So just creating account is not the only method of getting accounts into organization. You might already have accounts sitting out there that are standalone accounts, and you can invite them in. And the invitation has to start in the master account. An account cannot ask, saying, "Is I want to be part of an organization. It's always the other way around. Organization invites. The account that gets invited has to accept or decline. 
You can control who in a standalone account can accept and decline. It's normal IAM permissions. So if you want to make sure that the right person can accept and decline, you make sure those permissions are set. Or if you never want anybody to accept or decline, you always want it to be standalone, block access to those functions um, through permissions. When the uh, uh, invitation is accepted, oh, by the way, I should mention, the default action is also declined. So if somebody doesn't click and accept, it will automatically um, um, terminate and no, nothing is accepted. It has to be physically accepted in order to turn up in the account. Key thing as well, the acceptance can be done programmatically. It doesn't have to be somebody clicking on a button. Remember, once again, everything I talk about can be done with all the methods that I described previously, console, SDK, or CLI. Once the invitation is accepted, it automatically becomes part of the organization or instantaneously becomes part of the organization. And any control policy that you've defined that potentially affects all the accounts in the organization will immediately take effect. There's no grace period. Invita invited accounts can be removed from the organization. Um, the account can select and ask to be removed, or you can kick it out as an administrator of the organization as well. Either way it works, and you can control the same thing here through permissions. If you don't want an account to leave an organization, you can through permissions control that that can't happen. Logically group accounts. Talked about this. You can take a number of accounts, you group them logically in something that makes sense from a management perspective. As I said, production stage is one way of looking at it. You can do it through geography. You can do it, maybe it's cost centers, maybe it's division and departments. It's a little bit what works in and how you think about managing your business. Uh, the key thing and the interesting thing is, is that we call them OUs, and an OU can contain accounts another OU, so you can actually effectively build a hierarchy. You could start off with a top with an OU, two OUs that might be division, and under that you have departments, and under that you have whatever it is that comes after department in your organization, or some other mechanism or some other deal. Maybe it's cost centers, and then cost centers, and then cost centers. An account can be multiple OUs, can have multiple parents. An OU cannot. So an OU can only be a member of one OU, but it cannot be a member. It doesn't have, can't have multiple partners, and account can. There are use cases we've heard that this is a requirement, so that's supported. So an example, I'm going to use this example, so I'm drawing it up. It's very simple. I've got nine accounts. This is the world that I live in. And what I can go and do, basically group them. I can go and rename the root. In this case, I called it security because that's the control policy that we have, and that's what I'm going to go in and manage. And we'll talk about this in a little bit. And I've called them development, test, and production. Now, just because I've done this grouping doesn't mean it's solid. It has static. It stays this way. I can move accounts very easily either through API again, or I can just move it in the UI from one OU to another one. And when I move them, policies will change effect. So if I move it out of one OU that has a control policy, move it into another one, the first one will stop taking effect, and the second one will start taking effect. Same analogy and same in IAM. You move it from one group to another one, Permissions will go away, and permissions will start taking effect in the other group. High-level apply control policies describes controls to be applied. There's different use cases that are going to different types. You're going to see one today, and that's our primary use case for V1. Um, yes, there will be other types over time. Um, I'm not going to talk to those today. What you can do with an OCP is it's something that you can apply at different levels in the hierarchy you created. So you could put it at the top top of the organization, which means it's a control policy that affects automatically all accounts in the organization. You can put it on an OU, so once again, it affects all the accounts in the OU, or potentially the subtree from that OU down. 
The third one is you can always, of course, put it on an individual account. If you put it in all three places, all three policies will apply. So there's a policy inheritance up the hierarchy that you've built. So once again, you can start broad at the top, might be an organizational control, really a broad level, and they get more and more specific the further down you go. So, example. I have this example I had before. I put a policy at the top, I put one on the production OU, and I put one on account A9. Of course, all of the three policies will apply to A9 in this case. And I talked about potentially moving an account. Let's take the A3 that I have in this case. The, the only policy that applies in A3's case is the top one. But if I move it into production, automatically the policy that's assigned to the production will take effect. So an example of a use case would be you might have an account that's a development account for some new tool or some new application you're building. And the way you do things is when it's done, it turns into a production account and you start locking it down. Now you can lock it down by physically just moving it from one OU to another one. New policies will start applying immediately. Right? Simplifying your management task a lot about what you're doing today, potentially manually. So let's talk about the control policy we're doing for V1. Service control policies. Service control policies does what? It enables you to control which service APIs are accessible in an account. It doesn't mean that you suddenly grant people access to APIs. You're just saying they're accessible. The users in the account still need IAM permissions. You can either create whitelisting or blacklisting control policies. Effectively, you can go and say, here's the list of service APIs, like run instance, put object, create queue, whatever the APIs are, that my organization has authorized that we should be using in, on all our AWS accounts. And nothing on that list, if this is not on the list, it's going to be blocked. Or you can go the other way saying, is I'm going to allow everything, but I'm going to specifically call out the ones that I want to block. Example will be, allow everything, block access to Redshift. Now, if anybody tries to access Redshift in the account, regardless of permissions they have, they will be blocked. So an IAM user with star star that tries to access Redshift will be blocked. Root will be blocked. This is the first time policies will apply to the root credentials as well. So root, IAM users, and roles. You can't specify specific principles. It applies to all principles in the account. But it gives you a capability of putting up, we know use the notion of guardrails. Putting up guardrails and saying is, in this account, you can play and do whatever you want, but I know you can never walk outside of the fence. Right? Cannot be overridden by local administrator. Even if the local administrator has a permission to set any policy he wants, he can set any policy he wants. But if it's denied in the service control policy, it is denied. Right? The resultant permission for an IAM user or a role in the account is the intersection of what's defined in the service control policy and what's defined in the IAM permissions. And I'll have some slides later on that shows this more illustratively so we understand it. I need to drill, drill into this a little bit more. But it's the intersection in between. It's necessary but not sufficient. What does that mean? Just because I'm going to say an API is allowed doesn't mean that users in the account suddenly have access to it. They also need IAM permissions in order to get access. So you need both. To help local administrators to understand, if you want to delegate out and make sure that they understand what actually is going on, we've made the IAM policy simulator SCP aware. How many use the policy simulator today? Hands up. Good. So what's going to happen in the policy simulator is you can go in and you can pick 
and you go and log into the local account that has the service control policy attached, and you pick an, an identity in there, user or role, and you say, I want to try this API and see if they have access or not. If they get blocked by service control policy, the policy simulator will say so. But they can't change the policy. They just know that it's blocked, so they understand what the reason is. Right? They can now talk to whoever's managing your organization to understand why is that policy put on the account, but that is a separate piece of it. They can actually tell what that, what's going on in the account. Let's talk about, just show some examples, a blacklisting example. So this is what a blacklisting example looks like. It says, allow star, block redshift, deny redshift. Now, when you look at this policy, you're probably going to go, hmm, that looks familiar. It looks like an IAM policy. This is for the JSON geeks. I'm one. This is an IAM policy. What does that mean? Actually, it is an IAM policy. It is exactly the same policy language with two differences. You cannot specify a resource. It has to be star, and you cannot specify conditions. Other than that, you can specify anything you want that you normally do in an IAM policy, but not conditions and not resources. And effectively, it gets evaluated as part of the evaluation of the IAM policies, but evaluated first to de determine is, do I go any further and look at the policy so they have access or not? So the whitelisting example, you basically just list the APIs. This is an example I've just listed and saying is, these EC2 APIs, they should be accessible in the account. Now, the key thing on the right-hand side, given that it's whitelisting, means anything outside of that policy is going to be blocked. If somebody tries to access S3, they're going to get blocked. So just to illustrate and, and uh, drill it in a little bit harder, let's assume I have a service control policy that has two statements, allow EC2 star and allow S3 star. It's the only thing I want people in the account, the individuals in the account to be able to access. And I have an IAM user in there, a role, that has allow EC2 star and allow SQS star. What is the user actually, what is the result in permissions? It's allow EC2 star. He's not going to get S3 star because there are no IAM permission that gives them S3 star. He's not going to get SQS star because it's not listed in what I've allowed in the SCP. So it's a very, very powerful tool to put up guardrails. And this is also where you've got to think carefully about what you're applying. If you think through what I've just described, if you now take an empty service control policy and put it on an account, the resultant intersection between the policy and the user is going to be zero, so no access. Right. So you've got to think through when you're putting the policies and understand what actually is going on. And I'm going to talk about this later on in best practices. Think of when you put it in place, try it on one account to start with, and then move further on to see what the implications are. It's a very, very, very powerful tool of putting pieces in place. That was the control we have. We have talked about simplified billing. I'll walk through this and talk a little quick to it. You get a single payer. That's the master account, the payer account. Um, you get all the tiering benefits and all the usage benefits you have in consolidated billing today. It's not part of organizations. What we will do when we go GA, where we go general availability later on next year, all consolidated billing families will automatically migrate to an organization. There's no extra step you have to take to become an organization. We will do that for you. As part of the preview that we launched yesterday, when you register and say we want to be part of it and try it out, we will take a consolidated billing family, if that's what you registered, and we will make that an organization. There's nothing you have to do in the back end or any kind of things you have to go and click to make it happen. We will do that for you. 
So up to now, I've talked in general about what organization is, what you can do with organizations. How do I now control as an administrator who can manage what in my organization? The organizational pieces in itself, not inside the account, but the organization. To start with, there's two different management levels. There's something we call billing mode. So you can run your organization in billing mode. And really what you're doing then is you're staying in consolidated billing mode. Nothing changes from what you have today. You get the same bill, it's going to look the same, nothing changes. Um, you can add accounts in there, you can create accounts, you can add accounts, but you can't use control policies. To get the full functionality, you have to make sure that you are in full control. And to go to full control, you can now take all the controls that we're going to have now and in the future. You can apply this to across the accounts. However, all the accounts in your organization, if you're in building mode and going to full mode, have to consent to that you are going to uh, agree to be in a full mode environment. Right. And you sort of, if you think through what the controls do, they're giving up a lot of pieces, so they need to be aware of what actually is going on. So there's a consent that needs to happen. It has to be all the accounts um, for this to happen. Now, as I said previously, everything can be done through APIs. So if you have credentials in all your accounts that are admin credentials, you can programmatically accept the move to full mode for all your accounts. You don't want to have somebody sit there and click through all the different screens for the different accounts. But you have to go from billing mode into full mode in order to take advantage of all the controls. If you create an uh, uh, organization from scratch, you can do that with a standalone account. Take a standalone account. I'll show this in a demo in a little bit and say that I want to go into... Um, create an organization, you can pick which mode you want to run in. So you can start off in a full mode if you want to, and then you just add accounts into it. Consolidated billing families will be migrated into billing mode. And this is for backwards compatibility to make sure that there is the right controls in place. Then you have to move into full mode to take full advantage of the pieces. Least privilege. Um, I've talked about it as a management capability. For all intents and purposes, organizations is a new service. It is a service like any other AWS service. It has APIs. It has a service endpoint. You can specify IAM policies to define who can do what to manage your organization. So you should think about who you give control to do what. And you can be very specific. You can give Anders the ability of creating new accounts and putting them in the OU development. That's it. I can't do anything else. So now you can limit who does what to keep more control over it, because now you have the ability. It's a larger blast radius. You have control of doing more things to more accounts. So you might want to think of who is allowed to do what. But you can do all that with IAM permissions in the master account. All the things that happen in the master account gets logged to CloudTrail. So one thing to make sure is that CloudTrail is enabled. So anytime anybody creates an account, anytime somebody moves an account from one OU to another, and all these kind of management activities, they're going to be logged and moved uh, into CloudTrail so that you can go and look at those later and get an audit of what actually is going on. Demo. So this is what the starting point is. I'm going to show, um, start off by showing you what it looks like when I um, sort of creating an, an organization from scratch. Um, I'm also going to show the pieces. I'm going to actually do this. Sorry. I'm going to show what it starts from scratch. I'm going to show what the look is going to be like once we've migrated your consolidated billing family into this world uh, and drive through the, the premise of I'm going to create an OU and I'm going to put a policy on it. 
So this is a starting point. Looks pretty much like any other service. There's some text that talks about it. So what I do in this case, I want to create an organization. It asks me which mode I want to go in. I want to go into full mode in this case, and I click create, and I'm done. There's one account in there right now. As I said, it's standalone. So there's not much I can do with it at the moment. I can't organize, create any OUs. It doesn't make any sense. I can't do anything with it. So I want to get accounts into play. So I'll click Add Account. And as you can see, there's two choices. I can either create account or I can invite accounts. So in this case, if you look at it, it says I filled in some information about the account name. I filled in an email address. Excuse me. There's a role name. And I've unclicked the enable. In this case, I don't want iMuser to have access. I've unselected it. By default, it will be selected. So you can go in and unselect it if you want to. And I click Create. And it looks like, as I said, this is a local demo that I'm running, but it is pretty much this fast, but you're going to do it later on as well. If you compare that to going to the marketing page and creating it, there's a, quite a bit of difference in play. You look on the right-hand side, you also see some information. Uh, it talks about what the identifier is for the account and the organization. So you can now reference this in policies. Um, you also have the email address. You have the account ID. So you have all this information that is interesting for you in order to be able to understand and do certain things later on. I talked about inviting accounts as well, so let's show that. If I do invite an account, you can put email addresses or account IDs in here. Just list, list them through a comma, and you can mix and match either way you want to do it. Um, and you can set it out. You can put a text, and these notes get added to the email that gets sent out. So from an endpoint, for a user on the other end, the invited account, they will see an email that shows up with a link they can go and click to accept it. Now, they need to sign in to their account. It's not that one of those links that just happens. If, Nobody's signing. They have to be authenticated in order to do it. Plus, they need to have permissions in order to accept it. Let's say I send out the invite, and now it shows up here. So this is what the view would be in the account that gets invited. If you see here now, there's a little thing in the corner here. I'm just showing what it shows in the console. If I click this, this is the page that you will end up to when you click the link in the email. And effectively, it tells you who is inviting you what the information is, and what the mode is. I talked about billing mode and full mode. Which of the modes is the organization running in? And as you can see in this case, it's running in full mode. Right? So I can either accept or decline. If I don't uh, accept it, it will automatically uh, turn into a decline. And me as an administrator in the organization, on the other side of the account, I can resend it if I want to. Right? But in this case, I'm going to do accept. There's an extra confirmation step to make sure that you're really accepting, just to make sure, given that you're basically entering into a world that somebody else is managing centrally. And now this world. So now in the member account, whenever I go to the organization's console, this is what I see. Right? This is where I can request to leave the organization. Now, through a service control policy I talked about before, you can block the ability of leaving the organization. So even if somebody clicks here and they have a star star permission, they can't. So you can control keeping the accounts in there without having them leave your, your world. Now, this view with all the accounts. Oh, there's an account up there that has a star on it. Anybody can guess what that is? Master account. Fantastic. We did the right thing. So it's the master account. It's a way of easily identifying which your where your management hub is. When we moved all your accounts, the consolidated billing family you have, into this world, this is really the view you're going to get. You go to the consolidated billing console, you will see this. All right, so you have one view that's not two different places. There's one play to look at it and, 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 and go and manage and add new accounts. Cool, so I got all my accounts in here. What could I do now? Well, I can go to Organize Accounts. And you see the same set of accounts, but a slightly different view. And I'm going to go down. 
There's a link down here. It didn't show up, but just wanted to show this as well. So you can click and get more information. It basically tells you, what can I do here? I can create this notion of organizational units. I can put accounts into those, and I can apply these policies. And you can put them in all these different places that I talked about. So it's a little bit of a help with getting the information. And you can click learn more, and you get to the documentation, and it gets uh, much deeper information about all the details that I'm going to be uh, talking about. So in this case, I have... Um, uh, want to go and create an organizational unit. I'll give it a name. I'll call it development. I create it. There's nothing in there right now, but it's been created. So you can see I can create another one if I wanted to and keep going and getting those created. How do I get accounts in there? Well, here's one method. I pick the accounts. And now if I have different OUs or a hierarchy, I can go and browse up and down this hierarchy and pick where I want to move them. And in this case, I want to move them under development. And I'm done. The same thing here, if I now want to move an account from development to production, one of the examples I talked about, I would go in here, pick the account, click move, and then select where I want to move it to, and that it's instantaneous. And any controls are now changed between the two moves from what's been, been applied, right? Now, I've got my structure in place, and I now want to start applying and putting policies in place. And you can look down in the right-hand corner, it says service control policies. I'm going to show one way of doing it. We're going to give you different paths of doing it, but this is one way. No policies. So you could also attach already existing policies um, that's been pre-created. In this case, I'm going to create one as part of it. And all, you can tell at the top, it says I'm in development, that, the breadcrumb. So in this case, I'm going to put a policy on development to define. And this is the case, I don't want anybody in all, any of these accounts to access IoT. Just happens in this case, I don't want them to play around with it. And I get to this page, and as you see, there are some other boxes, which hints we're going to come with controls over time. I'm going to keep adding to this page, but for now, there's one control. I can create policy. For those that are, as I said, that previously or have been using IAM policies, you'll recognize the experience. This is the policy generator, where you, instead of having you punch in a bunch of JSON, you could click and select, make it easier to get policies created. I give it a name, I give it a description. In this case, I want to do deny, and I want to specifically want to go and deny IoT. Do all the actions, and I add the statement. Now, you might have noticed there's a line here that says all services allow. Right? And that's going to be there always when you click and create a new policy. And this is to make sure to safeguard you from potentially making a mistake. So what I just created is a blacklist policy. I haven't clicked create yet, but I'm creating a blacklist policy. This ensures that even if you do a mistake, you're not going to block whoever you assign the policy to. So if you want to do the whitelisting where you just list things that are, you want to be accessible, you have to take out the top statement. But that means you're all sort of aware of what you are doing. Right? So it's a safeguard that that thing is in play. So what this policy really says is allow everything but deny IoT. I click create. And you can see here policies actually attached to it, and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm now in play. So if I now click on the policies link, so as you see, there is a logical grouping. There's accounts. This is where I see all my accounts. There's organized accounts. This is where I organize accounts. And if I want to see all the controls that I have created that are in effect, I go to the policies tab. And as you see, the deny OT has showed up. There's information on the right-hand side, and I can go and click and look at the details. And this is where we'll show you all the JSON stuff in its glory. So if you want to go in and hack away on JSON, you can do it on this screen. All right. Um, let me go back to this. So 
Back to the slide deck. Oh. So let's talk best practices. Number one, and this is not in the specific priority order, it's, it's, it's more of everyone is as important as everything else. Make sure you monitor all the activity in the master account. Right? Make sure CloudTrail is turned on. If you don't use CloudTrail today, I strongly encourage you to turn on CloudTrail in any account that you have that is sensitive, that you want to track what's going on. Um, and keep monitoring on a regular basis. It gives you a tracking of what actually has happened. Somebody suddenly see a new account, it's definitely worth being able to track them. Well, who created it? Why was it created? Don't try to avoid managing resources in the master account. Keep it to what it is. It's a management hub. And if you think about it, it's a very critical management hub because now you're managing more than one account. So spinning up EC2 instances or doing other pieces with resources might not be the right place to do it in the master account. I know that our customers today that are do it today with consolidated billing, but I highly encourage you not to do it if you have the possibility. That way you minimize the number of people that actually need access to the master account. Right? So try to avoid it if possible. Always manage your organization with least privilege. I had a whole slide on this previously. Only give the access that is necessary. It's very easy to go in and say, organization star, you can do anything you want. Well, that means they can do anything they want. They can now go in and put policies in place that you might not want them to do. So if you have administrators that you want to get limited access, they can only go and manage a specific OU, like the production OU, maybe the development OU. Only give them permissions to that OU in that case. Now, one thing that I didn't mention on the slide when I talked least privilege as well is you can always uh, delegate access to parts of the organization as well to individuals in other accounts. You just use IAM roles. It's a normal cross-account access. It works in this case as well. So create a role, give it the permissions to manage whatever the subtree, whatever the function is in the organization, and then give the right people um, uh, the ability of use, assuming that role in whatever the accounts is that you want to uh, delegate access to. Use OUs to assign controls. Now, it's very easy to go, oh, I'll assign it to this account, I'll assign it to this account. It's usually best practice to try and stay in managing at a higher level. Even if it's only one account, create an OU and put the account in the OU. Why? Most likely, there will be another account that you create at some point that needs the same controls applied as that account. It's easier to drop an account into a group than try to put the right policies in place. Right, so start with an OU, put an account there. Even if it's only one account, it helps you manage in the future and makes it easier for you to uh, keep moving forward. And this gets back to the, using the OU as well. Try to avoid, if possible, assigning any kind of controls to root. Yes, it's very convenient. I want to have it be applied to all the accounts in my organization. But the downside is it applies to all the accounts in my organization. Right? You might want to, if you really want something to be applied to organization, maybe you create an OU that you call all of my accounts and you put all the accounts in that OU, you put the policy on the OU. But now you've taken additional steps to ensure that you're fully aware of what you're doing. It's very easy to put it in root and think that, yeah, well, that's fine. If you've got a couple of hundred accounts or a couple of thousand accounts that certain customers have, you can imagine what happens is it go, immediately goes and takes effect. Which gets to the next one. Whenever you're creating control policies, take the time Think about what you're doing, right? Test it on one account. It works on that account, add another account, and try it on that one to see that you actually get the effect that you're expecting to get. And once you feel comfortable, then you can roll it out wider. 
It's normal deployment tactics to ensure that you actually get the effect you're expecting and not un unknown effects. Uh, oh, one thing I should mention about the service control policy, which is related to this. It doesn't kill off resources, and this is key. It doesn't delete any resources just because you put the policy in place. It just blocks access to the APIs. It's key to understand that. Putting the service control policy in place does not delete resources. It just puts guardrails in place to block any kind of access um, to the bits and pieces. Avoid mixing whitelisting and blacklisting if possible. This is more for sanity. If you mix it, it might be hard to understand exactly what the resultant policy is, and you try to, in your head, figure out what it is. Stick with one strategy as much as possible, um, or at least one strategy down a certain subtree to ensure that you actually understand what is going on. But other than that, if, if you want to do whitelisting, stick with whitelisting. If you want to do blacklisting, stick with blacklisting. Um, if necessary, you could do both, but it's, it's, that it's hard to go and figure out what the details are, what actually is going on in that case. And the key one, and I'm going to put this up here, and I put it last because I want to talk a little bit more about this one. Make sure you create new accounts for the right reason. Yes, we've given you a method for very easily creating new AWS accounts and basically piping them out on, on a very fast pace. But there are implications of creating new accounts. Um, you create a new account and you start creating resources in it. I can't move those resources to another account if I want to merge two projects, as an example. If there are projects that really need to work to collaborate together and share resources, it might look at, is it one account I should be using instead? So really have a strategy about why do I create a new account and what am I going to use it for? Right. If you truly need the isolation boundaries for the specific reason, then it was worth creating an account. But if, in most cases, in some cases, you might be able to run things in the same account. So be very careful about creating accounts. It's easy but it's also a burden around it. We're trying to ease the burden of managing with organizations, um, but at the same time, you've got to make sure that you're doing it for the right reason um, so you don't get hurt later on when you try to do things where like merging projects or merging teams or whatever the deal is, right? I'm going to open up for questions. I ran a little faster than I thought I would. Um, open up for any kind of questions you guys might have, and then we'll go from there. I'll put this up here. There's another couple of other account sessions that are interesting to go to as well. So I saw some hands over there to start with.